0: back to the such nerds podcast i'm your host for tonight peter and i am completely in the dark
1: and i'm jason from hartford connecticut filled with the galactic spirit
0: and
2: i'm russ from montclair and i am a tractor beam
0: feel that gravitation ladies and gentlemen you can always find us at www.suchnerds.com Podbean, google Podcasts, and apple podcasts so tell a friend Jason, it looks like you got some fan mail for us. You want to go ahead and open that up? Yeah, so this is addressed to Such Nerds. And
1: just reading through it quickly, I think that um, it's one question, but I think it deserves three answers, one from each of us. So I will go ahead and just uh, lay it on you guys. Dear Such Nerds, I know you are all reading Foundation because you are already sci-fi fanatics. I am curious, what are each of your favorite books... I sure hope they aren't anything
0: lame. I'm totally out then. All, all my favorite books are super lame. Russ, you want to go ahead and kick this off for us?
2: Okay, so my favorite book is um, Andy Weir's Artemis, which is his second book uh, so far in his three-book collection. His first one is The Martian, which is a very good book. Made a movie about it. Artemis is the second, and his third is Hail Mary, which recently came out, and I will be reading that shortly. Um, Andy Weir takes this book to the moon at a, uh, a location around the landing of uh, Apollo 11. So you are on the moon, and what this uh, facility is called, Artemis, the city site, and you go through the life of a woman who has spent her life on the moon. Uh, it's a great story about uh, innovation, ingenuity. Uh, it's very science heavy. What do you call it science fiction? <laughs> it's, it's Yeah, it's certainly is that what that's science called? fiction. But it's based, like, all of the stuff is actually based off of current science. So, for example, there's a smelter that's on, uh, on the moon in Artemis. And the smelter also provides oxygen because it's like an aluminum smelter that generates oxygen when they split the silicone it's so it's like little stuff like that that you're like oh that's pretty cool like yeah that makes sense um can
1: i ask a question about your explanation so with the smelter did whoever smelt it dealt it
2: (laughs) oh you'll just have to read and find out jason (laughs) it's a quick read too i read it uh well this should say something i read it on my honeymoon uh, in, in a couple nights, so you know,
0: very exciting times. Sounds like a killer honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, you I'm, you I'm looking ask forward my to your divorce. <laughs> Great book. What about you, Jason? What's your favorite book?
1: Yeah, so I uh, I probably also fall in the lame category at least by Russ's standards because I know how he feels about love stories. And uh, but I will shamelessly say that uh, my favorite book is kind of uh, straddles the line between a love story and sci-fi. Uh, it's actually called The Singing. It's pretty hard to find. I think. Uh, I poke around every once in a while and see if it's listed on like ThriftBooks or amazon.com. Uh, not, not that often do I find it, but it is out there sometimes the author is Throne reigns. And if you look for it without the author's name, I don't even think it'll come up on a Google search. In any case, it's uh, it is my first book that I can claim has a sci-fi theme uh, that I've read in my life. And uh, it had uh, a pretty strong impact on me, and I really enjoy it.
0: You're such a sensitive soul. Person. I know. I'm, I'm a sap. Well, my, uh, my favorite book series is probably The Magicians by Lev Grossman, which is a—it um, it was marketed as a uh, Harry Potter for adults, and it is so much more than that. The main character is completely unlikable in the first book. You, I found him highly relatable, though. Quentin? And, yeah, Quentin, yes. Quentin uh, Coldwater. And Coldwater, he definitely is. And as the uh, series progresses, he grows up. And that's what the book is are really about. is about going from a snotty kid to a, uh, a real man. That's the meta. I just ruined everything for you guys. But you should read it anyway. It's really fun. It's a fun book series.
2: I've already seen all five um, seasons on Netflix.
0: That's not a book. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up to our fan mail for this week. Jason, why don't you bring our listeners back up to speed and give us a quick little summary of what happened?
1: All right. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, happy to uh, run through here. So after the buildup to the external conflict on Anacreon and the internal conflict with the opposing political party on Terminus, we left Harden approaching the airport uh, on a snowy day on Terminus. Hardin, we learn, travels about the Anacreonian kingdom before landing on the planet Anacreon, where he remains for most of the duration. He arrives for the crowning of King Leopold, but remains in anonymity to all except his counterpart, Wenus, with whom he retires to Venus's private office. While they are conversing, we learn that Wenus' son, Lefkin, is underway towards Terminus to attack using the galactic battlecruiser named after Venus. Fortunately, as Hardin explains to Venus and as the events unfold, the devoted High Priest, Apparat, who is on the flagship with Lefkin, as well as a cleverly and slyly installed hyperwave relay... Apparat is able to successfully conduct a full-scale mutiny in the name of the Foundation and the Galactic Spirit to stop the flagship from ever reaching Terminus. In parallel, the priests across the realm turn off the power at the stroke of midnight when Leopold is supposed to be crowned. While the people are revolting outside the castle walls and the attack on Terminus has failed, Weenus makes a vain attempt to assassinate Harden, who, using a microatomic-powered force field, is immune to the blaster causing Weenus to change his mind and turn the weapon on himself, leading ultimately to his timely but unpleasant demise. After returning to Terminus, it is time for the annual gathering in anticipation of a vault opening, which after 30 years, Harry Saldon, finally reappears. He warns the crowd that although he knows they have struck a balance using the spiritual power over the temporal that must not be relied upon due to the counteracting force, which is nationalism or regionalism. He also tells them that they are at the start of the journey towards the second galactic empire and reminds them that there is also another seed on the other end of the galaxy at star's end.
0: All right. Thank you, Jason. So a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff going on here, like the, uh, like the power of religion over the masses, for one thing. Um, Russ, I know that you uh, despair at the idea of religion <laughs> influencing the masses, but uh, how did you feel about that? Did you think that was realistic or no?
2: I, I thought it was very interesting, but um, yeah.
0: I found it interesting, and it, it felt like this was kind of Harden's plan all along, right? He was going to build this basically weapon of his own through pacifism. If you recall from earlier in the, in the same book, violence is like the last refuge of the foolish or something like that.
1: Incompetent.
0: Of the incompetent. So Hardin firmly is a pacifist and thinks that situations can be manipulated by avoiding violence. And so he essentially set up an entire galactic society to shut down acts of violence against Terminus specifically, but probably he would have done this if things got real anyway.
1: Yeah, I think the way I the way I think about it is, you know, if you're not in a position of authority by title, you can still be in a position of authority by granted authority. In other words, you know, the people can still respect and follow somebody that doesn't necessarily have a title, right? It happens all the time. We have, you know, YouTube influencers. They are not political appointees or you know, heads of businesses, they're just people who put themselves out there and they gain a following, right? So they have influence over others. I think uh, what Hardin's, you know, really manifested was even though he didn't feed the people with food, he kind of fed them with, he fed their spirit in a way, right? And he, I think I said it last time, but he kind of won the hearts and minds of the people by giving the thing that they needed most that the government couldn't provide, Right. So when push came to shove, he had, I think he had more than 17 listeners to his podcast is what I'm trying to say.
0: I, think, I think that's a great way to summarize it, Jay. <laughs>
1: that he could reach out to and immediately kind of mobilize for a common cause.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that, that's like another theme we've seen, like crop up from books to books, like, uh, power is where people believe it lies, right? It's, a uh, it's actually from Game of Thrones. There's a, a riddle that's presented, and it's uh, a cell sword is asked by what is it? The, the clergy to um, the, a king and a wealthy man um, to kill the other two, and the question is, where does you know, what does the sellsword do? And it's like, well, the sellsword follows the instruction of the man who has the most power. Well, where does power derive from? It's it's where people think it lies.
1: For those of you who are just joining us, welcome back to our Game of Thrones podcast.
0: (laughs) Yes, and I'm your host for tonight, Robert Baratheon. (laughs) So they built this society where... The, the priest class is in charge of keeping the galactic spirit happy and harden uses that to essentially make the galactic spirit show that the galactic spirit is unhappy with the events unfolding at Leopold's coronation. And I, I thought it was interesting, all the things that were tied to the power production. Like I think he mentions that, You know, things that we would think of as being important to have power, like the hospitals and the communications and the trains or whatever they had for transportation. But they also mentioned food production, like food production shuts down. There's no there's no means of getting food to anybody because there's no power. And that feels like a real classic, like sci fi trope like the, the food replicator or whatever they have to magic up food for them.
2: I, he does a good job at making you really hate the, uh, the uncle. It's just sounds yeah. like, like a total weasel. seems like a total
0: weenus to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like aptly named. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I felt like a lot of things came to a head, like in these three, these three chapters before the last one. Um, that there was a lot of buildup. And the first, I remember reading it and being like, wow, this is kind of a grind. Like these first five chapters, I'm like, I don't really care that Brosov is about to get kicked out of office. Why is Bort so mad about his license plates? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's like, it's, I've noticed that that's, I mean, I know we've only read three sections of the first novel, but it seems to be kind of a pattern of, of Isomov, right. That he, uh, he he has this kind of like, it's like he knows where he's headed in the end and, but he like scatters it out at the beginning and you kind of got to like wade through like these scattered thoughts and then it kind of pulls together at the end of the section. It just seems like, you know, another aside from the, Myriad of new faces and names. It's like a feature of the way it was written as kind of independent stories for magazine publication. So it'll be interesting to see how the fifth section goes because, from what I understand, that is actually a section that he wrote in order to publish the first book. It was not published in a magazine. And so maybe it'll be, it'll feel better reading. It'll be more good. Then it maybe a big like. Like the other parts, but good. You know? Like
0: the other parts, but good.
2: <laughs> but all the other parts, really the last chapter is where all the meat is. It's really like all of a yeah. sudden everything happens in the last chapter. It all comes together in the end. Now, I will mention this. I read and I also listen. What? I read the book and then I also listen to it again. on audiobook? Yeah.
1: Whoa. So you are our pronunciation
2: um, pronunciator. Yeah, you guys are you're, you're it's not it is not Leopold. What is it? Leopold? They call him yeah, they call him Le- Leopold or Leopold.
0: That's awful. It's definitely Leopold.
2: <laughs> it is it is an incredibly dry voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. And he and he does any other character that is not the main character of that, that part or that section. Just takes the same voice as every other character.
0: (laughs) Is Jason narrating it. That like comes into it. Wow. Double dip. Yeah, I got to keep up. So I am your host for this week, along with my co-host, Double Dip. (laughs) (laughs) Just perfect with his long dancer's legs. I think it feels feels like it belongs there. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could see what I can see right now. (laughs) Long dancer's legs.
1: So I think, like, there's there's a few more things to unpack here that, um a few things from this section that were content-related that jumped out at me. So I really liked when Harry Seldon said, a fire eater must eat fire, even if he has to kindle it himself, and you, Lee, have got to worry, even if you have to kill yourself to invent something to worry about. I thought that was pretty clever and also entertaining at the same time you
0: like that little sign i do i like that but you he's to referring to, to, in your own personal life
1: you know it was just like a snarky way to you know say like people are who they are in a way um because he's talking about his political opposition right the guy i, I can't remember who the main guy is but i remember bort now because of peter <laughs> But I mean, the, Bort the Bort really Bort's party the right? Like, he's really the pivotal member of that <laughs> political movement, right?
0: It's like, look, there's no reason there should be out of license plates. Right, exactly. There's none. So,
1: <laughs> but yeah, so he like he just, you know, he recognizes that this guy is like, he's hungry for fire. And, you know, whether it's there in the environment or he has to create it himself, he's going to find a way to to eat that fire and just like his his main man lee who he probably hires as his you know accompaniment for the past 30 years because he worries and he's careful um but he still kind of jabs your ribs him a little say like lee you're gonna find things to worry about even when there's nothing to worry about
2: what is johan lee's purpose to harden he's his confidant he's his He's his his lieutenant man yes it's his body man yes
0: it's a, he's his first lieutenant, basically. Is he
2: is he recognized as part of, like, the the mayoral structure? Like, is he part of the government, or is he just, like, Harden's un, under-the-table... Um, I, I
0: think he's yeah, out think of the He's, open kind of aid. Aid.
1: he's his aide, He's aid, like an yeah.
0: aide. I, I would imagine him to be outside of the government system, right? It would be like a... Uh, like like a hired government contractor consultant. or something. Yeah. Right.
1: Like Giuliani to Trump, Right. <laughs>
2: Well, I, I guess he, he's still waiting to be paid, so I don't know if that yeah. if that
0: works. His name is Sir Mac, by the way. Sir Mac? Sir Mac.
2: Yeah. Lee Sir
1: Mac? Or no. the other. No, the Sir opposition. Sir is, is
0: the opposition leader. Right, 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 right. Sir Mac. Sir right. Mac.
1: And I think you described it well, Peter. He was like laughing them out of the room as stupid children, right, when they were first challenging him.
0: Ooh, did I say that? Right. So- yeah,
1: yeah, it was like basically. Wow. You know. Well, really actually, we this. didn't think that got cut because it was kind of a kind of a rambling aside at the tail end of our conversation. But
0: well, then why even bring it up, Jason?
1: Well, I think it was pointed and you said it, Peter. And like you said, you say the most important things on this podcast. So what? you were you were impressed with the capturing of the humanity of Harry Selden, and he was smirking. As he was, you know, telling these these political opponents that they're a bunch of stupid children or
0: something. Yeah, like Bro that. actually has some personality, unlike yeah. uh, some of our other characters in the previous chapters, like the encyclopedist uh, leader, who I mean, that's all I know him as. And then you got Gal, um, the slack jawed country boy coming to the big city for the first time. You've got We're- Harry, Harry Selden,
2: and. And what's his face hardened? Sel- Sal. Yeah. Salvador. Salvador. I always want to call
0: him Salvador. How could how
2: like they are almost identical? Too similarly reversals. named. Yeah, like yeah. reverse the
1: name, and now that's your new character. I, I thought so too. I thought that was a little, a little. I don't know if it was too obvious or clunky, clunkily
0: similar. Clunkily might be the most clunky word I've ever heard. Clunkily. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, picking this up? Like, you're like, oh, I can't wait to read the next installment of this chapter. And then you, like, you know, you haven't read it for, like, a month and a half. And you, like, pick up the new, you know, zine. And you're reading through and you're like, I I thought this guy died. (laughs) (laughs) And, in fact, something else that I wanted to bring up. um, There's no women in this book. They're not even acknowledged as
2: part of the species.
0: Other than I think maybe in chapter one, they mentioned like men, women, and children.
1: Right, that the families get exiled with the the encyclopedists, right? Yes. So I think that's a great segue, Peter, to the fact that, you know, what you just mentioned, right? You know, you brought it up last time. We were kind of wrapping things up after we had finished recording, but you pointed out that You know, where are all the women? And I was, like, ashamed that I hadn't picked up on the fact that, like, all of these characters are dudes. And it's just dudes interacting with dudes. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing real about this environment, by our today's standards, at least. Like, was it that exclusively, you know, male chauvinistic at that time? I mean... I know it was generally, but was it that bad that like you didn't even have women characters in your books? I,
0: uh, if you think about your audience base for something like this at the time, it was probably almost entirely male. Uh, so it may have been a factor of him writing to his audience, I just think it's weird that nobody ever mentions them in this book. They're not like running around as background characters. And in fact, there's not very many characters in these books at all. There's I mean there's a chapter like the first book of the series, we had essentially we had four characters, maybe five. We had five five real actionable people in it. We had Gal, we had Harry we had the uh, the lawyer, we had the the real emperor, and we had the investigator, and that was really it. Like that was all our characters. I mean, you could count like the taxi man and the clerk uh, in the very beginning of the novel, but that that was it. And then, and the second book, we have the encyclopedists, the scientists. Um, and the two of them are named, and I couldn't tell you what they what their names are right now. And then we have. Um, Hard-
1: Irene was
0: one of them. Irene, who was the cool one, who was the fat one, who's moped a pipe. Farrah. yeah, Farrah was memorable. And then we had a we had a, a pompous, um, like a scholar. effort if- Lord, Lord Dorwin Lord. Lord Dead. Be- yeah king who's or uh, lord who spoke with a uh, exaggerated without his R's, yeah uh, exaggerated accent which was totally fake so he was you know at least he had some color we remember something about that guy and we had the um the pompous you know uh, warrior ambassador from Anacreon and Hot Rod. Even in, yeah, Hot Rod, my boy. <laughs> Hot Rod. And, uh, the, long and story
1: short, Peter, I think what you're trying to say is, it's a long list of dudes.
0: It's all dudes. It's a
1: long list of dudes. It's and not, a lot Maybe of them it's have not like, that that many characters, but it's still a pretty long list of dudes.
0: And a lot of them have names that are very suggestive of dudes, like Hot Rod and Weenus. <laughs> I am I'm wondering if there's something else going on here. Russ, I know
1: that you showed a, at least a mild um hint of excitement when we brought this up off camera last time or off, off off the record I should say. Where where was your head at when when Peter brought this up?
2: I used to teach a uh, a class called 21st century science that I had made. And the idea was to get kids excited about science. So when I read books, regardless if they're fiction, nonfiction, and there's always a piece in my mind where it's like, is this something that I can recommend to kids to get them excited about it? Clearly there is no female presence in here. Um, So yeah, it, it definitely stands out for me for sure. Um, but it's also a, it's a, a time piece, right? You know, it's right. This reflects it's, writing of the 1950s. It's a product of its of its you know yeah of its time period. It's definitely a product of its environment for sure. And I don't think you can hold it against you know however you want to say it, but you know in the 50s, if they were writing and this is the tone or the the way in which they were writing about with very few female characters. I mean, we talk about Lord of the Rings you know, how many dominant female characters are in Lord of the Rings? You've got male hobbits. You've got male counterparts that are escorting them all the way there. You've got one queen elf that is a side, a total side character to one of the main characters. It's, I I think that you, you see a lot of that, which is unfortunate too, because you know i i'd hate to see somebody be disinterested because they don't feel like they're being represented in a book but again it's it's a
0: function of its time so i mean it, to be fair as like a person with a personality i don't feel like i'm well represented in this book so maybe i should stop reading it
2: <laughs> yeah yeah maybe man i don't know everyone else has their own perspective when they read books and it's just it's just the way i view it and you know there's there's people out there that do the same thing or have the same sort of questions so um yeah i i think it's glaring but it's you know what what can you do about it other than to say that it's just a function of its time
1: no you know i think uh <clears throat> i honestly i don't really think about it like it's not a thing that's in my head like i'm i'm not looking for chauvinism so it doesn't jump out at me i don't uh there's two different philosophies i don't know which one is right i don't know if one's even better than the other or maybe they're just two equivalent approaches to a problem but you know there's one one philosophy or one approach that is you have to identify every shortcoming of the world that doesn't match your ideal and fight to balance it to the point of meeting your ideal right then the you know the there's another approach that by pointing it out you make it a thing whereas maybe if by not recognizing it in the first place it never takes on the um it never takes on the, uh, the definition that you're applying to it, if you will. Like, uh, identifying all these characters as men, right? Um, if in my mind I'm reading the book and I'm just taking the characters as they come, like, okay, Gal Dornick, okay, Harry Selton, okay, you know, Salver Harden, okay. Like, I'm not really thinking, like, is this a guy, is this a girl? Like, I'm not trying to weigh that in my head. I'm just kind of taking it as it comes, which I think is where I'm at in general with with these kind of things. I just try to kind of take stuff as it comes. And then when you pointed out that there aren't any women, that's why it struck me so hard, because it wasn't something that I was um, thinking about, right? it wasn't like I was happy that there wasn't any women. It was something that didn't even cross my mind because I wasn't looking for it is what I'm trying to say.
0: I get it. The, um, it just struck me because everybody's so logical. Like everybody has like a very definite path. Everybody's going down this, this thing and there's no, there's not like a lot of emotional anchor for me. So one of the things that comes up with that is, why do you think these books have survived and like are like these bedrock novels for why for like modern science fiction essentially
1: more than one person is out there recommending this right and um as i've reached out to you know folks that i know are interested in sci-fi like it just so happens that you know two of them are actually reading the series right now so to me it's like there's something to the series that gives it some gravitas you know i'm putting my faith in the in the um audience that it has right there's other people besides myself taking this in and thinking it has value so i'm trying to go along with it until i can understand what that value is. Maybe we got to get two books in. Maybe we got to get to the end of this book to really, you know, get excited or motivated for the, uh, for the rest of the series. Not that it's not interesting. It's fun, fun reads to go through each part, um, and kind of see that stuff come together. And I don't hate it because it doesn't have women. It's just a observation that, yeah, caught me off guard when you pointed it out, Peter.
0: I, I just, I just like women. Oh, okay. So I noticed when they're gone. <laughs> Fair enough. Listen, when you got dudes named like Weenus and Hot Rod, like I'm gonna notice, like, okay, well, where's like, you know, is galore. <laughs> so, like, where's the other? Where's the other side of that coin?
2: So, my wife, her cousin is a um, a professor of literature, and. I always talk to him, tell him what I'm what I'm reading. And he told me that he had reread Foundation, the whole Foundation series last year and absolutely loved it. And he's excited about the Foundation series coming out on Apple. And then I told him how much I really like Dune. And in the same breath, he turned to me and he was like, yeah, I couldn't even finish the third book.
1: That's okay, Russ. Like, you know, you can have a different opinion than other readers and. That's just Um, like
2: your opinion. Your your opinion, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So welcome back to our big podcast. (laughs) It's going to be the new
1: tagline. (laughs) I guess where I was going with that is I haven't, the jury's still out for me on whether Isimov is a chauvinist or if he's actually, you know, maybe he doesn't like the fact that in most other stories, the expectation is that women play secondary roles and they are objectified or whatever the case would be. And maybe he says, I'm not even going to include them in my book because I don't want to do that and have that type of thing going on. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, the, maybe I'm completely giving him way too much credit, but... Yeah. You know, it's like he could just be avoiding it altogether and saying, listen, I'm writing a magazine. There are 99.9% dudes who are interested in this. They're interested in it because they like, you know, these sci-fi concepts. I'm just going to not even dangle the carrot of this is like, a, you know, something sensual or something relationship, you know, focused. Or, or even or just a like love that. story. Like like
2: I... I very much appreciate the non-love story yeah, aspect. Yeah, Russell hates, hates love. I can't <laughs> stand love stories. Like, why does everything in this world have to pivot around a love story?
0: So let me tell you a little about something about the birds <laughs> and the bees <laughs> and about the male drive to procreate. It's <laughs> like
2: everything is motivated by, by love. And, and
0: you can see Isn't, in Foundation. Wouldn't that be a horrible
1: what? world if everything was motivated by love? That would just be like the worst place to live. Well,
2: clearly we're seeing in Foundation that they're motivated by everything but love. And it seems to be pretty terrible. So, yeah, so I
1: was uh, a little bit curious, you know, what's ahead of us. So I picked up the rest of the novels, which, you know, we've all bought, right? We've all got stacked up somewhere in our house. I just looked at the you know, the back cover to see what's going on in this, these next books. And I'm pretty comfortable like grinding through the first book, if that's a necessary evil. Um, And I don't think I'm, you know, it's like, I find it very quick to read. So I don't feel like I'm grinding through, but even if somebody felt like they were grinding through, like maybe some, one of the three of us felt like they were grinding through the first novel. (laughs) I think it would be uh, worth it to maybe just look ahead at the back covers of the rest of the novels because, you know, I want to say, like, it gets real, but mm-hmm. it actually gets less real. And it's, like, more uh, interesting and more fantastical as the well, series okay. goes on. Yeah, so okay. it seems like, you know, it's it's important that we know who Harry Seldon is. Um, and the kind of the stage that's been set with this whole foundation thing but it just kind of like the it's off the off the hook at a certain point and it just like bounces around the universe and all kinds of like alternate life forms start popping into the spoilers yeah so i i don't know enough about it but it's like the idea of like a unified holistic planet comes into play where everything's connected. I thought like immediately, like, up. Oh, I see where avatar got their idea from um, and stuff like that. So I think that uh, I think it's going to be ultimately really worth it to get through this. And on another note, before I release the conch here, um, I bumped into somebody at the library today who very like randomly started mentioned like if you're interested in sci-fi he he recommended mana or mana the book and i told him actually funny you should mention that because i just started reading foundation uh and we're you know the three of us are doing a podcast and he's like oh that's the series that uh elon musk recommends and uh, i did not know that uh he had like overtly endorse the foundation series, but I thought you guys might be interested to, to hear that, you know, at least one other person out there is excited about foundation and probably going to watch it when it comes out on Apple.
0: So, I mean, I was excited. (laughs) I,
1: I I, I joked about that. I was like, Oh geez, if I knew that, I probably wouldn't have picked it. (laughs) But getting back to the, uh, like the story itself. So it's pretty climactic, like when things start to pull together because we've just been kind of scattered around an Acreon. We've got, you know, stuff going on on Terminus. We've got weird stuff going on with the coronation ceremony of of Leopold. Right? Did I say that right, Russ? Yeah. And Absolutely. uh And we've got, you know... Salver Harden sitting in a room with, with Weenus, Peter's favorite character. And just like.
0: Rod's my favorite character. Smirking
1: at him as he just watches him squirm as reality unfolds and all the chess moves that uh, Salver Harden's kind of set into motion uh, that Weenus just can't stop. And he's like adamant that he will prevail and he'll resist and he'll hold out. And then ultimately just gives up completely. So.
0: I mean, I did I did enjoy like the nuances of like the ceremony, like the floating throne that glows and whatnot. And all of a sudden it just, you know, hardened pulls the trigger on the plan and it just like clanks to the ground and the aura dies and everybody's like I can just see this whole court of people just like gasping and not understanding what's going on. And then the announcement being made that basically you displeased the gods. And that's why, you know, the lights went out, essentially. And and, and unless they uh, repent against the blasphemy that they're about to commit, then uh, the lights will stay out. You know, I like I like seeing the dominoes fall. And uh, that was cool. That was very exciting. Um, And I I like that. You know, he loses his cool at the end, um, Weenus, and he tries to, he tries to kill Harden, and it just, like, bounces off his cool little reflector shield, and then, uh... I think it absorbs, actually, right? Does it absorb, or does it ricochet and kill his son? Did I make uh, that up? Yes, you did. All right, I like my version better, where it ricochets and kills his son. Because originally I thought it ricocheted and killed him, so, yeah. Um... But yeah, it, I, I thought I thought it was all very exciting. Um, now you know we get to the end of this part, and then there's another there's another vault opening, which was part of what we knew was happening. Right, Harden predicted as much before he um, he went to anacreon uh, that he knew that this next this next crisis was going to unfold. Um, Russ, you want to bring us up to speed with what happened with that vault opening?
2: So from what I get, um, Harry Selden comes out of the vault, tells them, he reminds them that there is another foundation that was established.
0: Um, What's it called? Star's End?
2: It says it's at Star's End. I don't know if we've ever confirmed them if that's the actual planet name or whatever it's on but it just says at star's end they make reference to it in the very beginning Um
0: I, I like to think that that's the planet's name
2: right I, I feel like it's got to be something Um so he says in this case, the foundation is the, is only at the start of the path that leads to the second Galactic Empire. Neighboring kingdoms, and manpower and resources, are still overwhelmingly powerful as compared to yourselves. So they're still outnumbered, and they're going to have to be forced to run the gauntlet yet again, whether it be, um, you know, some sort of military manpower or you know it, like so what happens with this ship that's what i'm curious about does this ship now go back to terminus and is that part of their fleet or do they start yeah, that's building a good fleet point. what does
0: happen with the ship I because don't think that's we find a pretty out. it's like I, nuclear weapons like they don't just yeah. disappear right they get they get stolen and and covered well, they made, they
2: made such a big deal about it being an old empire ship that was like the size of the entire Anacreon Navy. You wonder if Terminus now has complete control of it. Do they now have the military presence that they didn't have before?
0: I don't know. Or are they going to like reverse engineer it and kind of evenly distribute it among their allies so that there's like a series of checks and balances?
1: I have a feeling that, you know, if you go back to the first, um, page of this section that little snippet about you know the historical you know quote at the beginning right
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i think that historical quote talks about the reign of salvor hardin so i'm pretty sure that the implication is that anacreon becomes part of the terminus or the foundation um kingdom if you will I mean they keep they don't call it a kingdom right they call it the foundation but I think that basically like all these planets that realize that they're not as powerful as the foundation basically become like within the foundation right
2: well they they reference four four of the old kingdoms in the periphery right right Right. it's Terminus and Acreon Synax is that, the, it's like Synax. Synax is right? where,
1: Salver, uh, where Harry Seldon was from, right? Right. Or Gal Dornick, one of the two in the first very first section of the book. Oh, oh, right. He
2: comes across. Well, yeah. But they say that there's four, I can't remember what they are, but they say that there are four planets in the periphery. Yeah, there, four there's kingdoms. four
1: kingdoms. And they were at one time part of the Anacrionian prefect, and the prefect broke up. Into the Anacreon Kingdom and these, you know, three other kingdoms, and I don't remember what their names were, but yeah, it was like they were at war with Anacreon, and and they hadn't been conquered yet, and that's when Hot Rod came to Hot try God. to annex Terminus. Russ found it.
2: I found Hot it. Rod so
0: Venus hanging out
2: Venus. <laughs> of the four kingdoms, you've got Anacreon, Smirino, Smirno, Smirno. Smyrna Konom, Con- and Darabo. So we've only we've only heard of Anacreon and Smyrna Smyrno, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so just to kind of bring it to a close here, you know, we've been on a bit of a journey this time. This is probably the longest journey we've been on for any of the parts that we've read. I know we've only read three parts, but, um, you know, it's been a longer journey through the mayors. And, you know, I think it's a reflection of the, maybe the expanding popularity of this uh, story in the magazine at the time um, or maybe you know Isimov really kind of got into his stride and started kind of expanding each time he took on a new section he took on a little bit uh, more expansive of a of a plot. Um, but it's really kind of come together in the end again as as you know they face the crisis and Salver Harden reappears. Um, they've, you know, kind of conquered in line with the expectations of Harry Seldon at the beginning that they're marching towards their, you know, establishment as the Second Galactic Empire, right?
0: Well, what I thought was interesting, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, Jay, um, but what part of the part of the warning from uh, Harry Seldon or Harry Seldon, depending on who, who's saying it, um was that basically the the old tricks wouldn't work anymore right that the 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 he basically calls out the fact that they're using religion as a means of manipulation and maintaining peace and a position of pacifism is the word i'm looking for um like a pacifistic uh approach to maintaining order but that wouldn't work anymore they would need to evolve beyond that. And I forget, do they, does he tell us kind of where we're heading after that?
1: He warns, right? He says, uh, just so you guys know, like, it's been great that you you know, figured this whole religion thing out as a means to power, but that ain't going to cut it going forward. And, you know, that's not going to, um, be strong enough to combat the, uh, inclination towards regionalism or, Populism, or does he say populism? He says regionalism or nationalism. Sorry, regionalism or nat- nationalism. So he basically tells him, like you, you know, that got you to this step, but now you got to change strategies because you need a new strategy to get through the the next phase. Which sets us up nicely for what we're going to talk about in our next episode. I think, um, which is more mercantile, and uh, I want to say that because. When, I, when we say the word traders, it sounds like traitors, but we're actually saying traders, like trade as in, you know, uh, exchange and markets and things like that. So um, that is what we will talk about next time as we dig into the next section of the book, The Traders.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for coming this week and looking forward to you seeing on our next podcast. I have been Peter. Jason. And Russ.